Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him, and all tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Before we go further, I think it's important to recognize the various lenses people wear as they read Revelation. Um, for those that have spent a lot of time in it. This may be familiar for those that it's new or haven't spent a lot of time in Revelation. Uh, this may be unfamiliar. So there are, fair, there are four main views Bible-believing Christians would hold. Um, as a church, we don't have a, a firm stance on these, but the first or one view would see most of Revelation addressing details and events in the first century, the Roman Empire age or the fall of the second temple in AD 70. The second view 
would see Revelation as really a timeless in representing spiritual truths, so not dealing with any historical events. A third view would be uh, Revelation as a symbolic representation of the course of history, uh, starting from the apostles to the end of the age. And a final view would see the book um, kind of in categories, with some pointing to what John has just seen, with some point to what he's experiencing in that time, and then others, um, most of it pointing to a futuristic point of time. So I'm not sure if that's more helpful or confusing, um, but no matter how you view Revelation, or if you don't have a view at all, I think it's important, again, that we keep our focus on what's clear. This is a revelation of whom? Jesus. None of us have 2020 vision. I mean, maybe we do, but not 2020 when it comes to having the exact interpretation 100% to Revelation. I'm still, I don't even know where I land fully, but we must keep our focus on Jesus. And this, in this passage, I think, uh, by the grace of God, it's, it's less cryptic than a lot of Revelation can be. So this morning, we'll kind of go through our passage as follows. Verse 1 and 3, a book to be a blessing. Verse 4 and 6, a greeting with God from love. Verse 7, describing him coming. Verse 8, fear not or take comfort. He is the first and the last. And then the end, really the vision that John received. So we'll start in the beginning and we'll walk through it together. A book to be a blessing. Verse 1 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. So we just talked about, right? This is not to hide or make confusing, but to reveal and show Jesus. To whom? His servants, or uh, the word there also translated slaves. In our culture, a lot of the times, the, the ESV at least tries to Choose one that best fits based on our Western society's view on slavery. But servants or slaves, all those who follow Christ. What will he show? The things that must soon take place. Throughout all church history, right, this has been on the forefront of the church. At any time, at any moment, any day, Christ could come back. And since Christ has not come back yet, does this mean that previous generations of Christians were wrong to think this way? No. We must all be ready. We must all live with a sense of imminence that God, that Christ could come again. If you're not a Christian here today, I pray that the truth of who Christ is would be evident in your heart this morning, that you would see him as a savior worth following. The time is near. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Revelation is meant to be a blessing. I don't know about you, but when I think of Revelation, I think more headache, confusing, and what exactly is going on, but a blessing. There are seven beatitudes. Think back to the Sermon on the Mount throughout Revelation. Seven ways of being blessed are spoken. Blessed are those who hear and keep. This is not primarily a puzzle to figure out, but a book to bless us as we hold on to the truths that we know and can see. 
Why, again, it points to Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Let's continue. A greeting with God, or from God with love. Some of this I won't go in super detail, and even verse 1 through 3, some of it I'll try to cover at more length. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. As we talked earlier, this book weaves three styles together, right? Letter, prophecy, apocalypse, revelation. John, who is almost certainly Apostle John, the writer of the gospel in John 1, 2, and 3, is writing to seven churches in Asia. Why seven? It seems seven literal churches, right, are receiving this letter as described in verse 11 uh, for the geography people in the room, Asia, uh, the time, modern-day Turkey. So seven literal churches, and yet the number seven throughout Scripture represents this perfection, completeness, seven days of creation, seven priests sounding seven trumpets as they march seven times around Jericho. Seven things the Lord hates in Proverbs. So this perfection, this completeness, the list could go on. And here, seven churches. So not only is it a literal seven churches of John's time, but appears to represent the complete and whole church throughout the New Testament into our age. So throughout this entire book, it's important to hold the literal and a possible figurative representation and tension. Well, I'll do this differently. We'll all have different views as you study maybe throughout the month of December here. You read commentaries. However you study, you're going to come to a different conclusion maybe than the person sitting next to you. But it's important again to remember that we see Jesus as the revelation in this book. Just a side note, if you, as you study, come to something that appears odd, Assume it's a reference to something God maybe has already made known throughout Scripture. We talked about all those connections. Just take a moment to pause and ponder. Maybe that's something God has revealed. Let's keep going. Grace to you and peace from who is and who was and who is to come. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Peace, blessing, wholeness from God the Father, who is, that is God of now, who is, who was, God of the past, who is to come, the God of the future. For me, uh, that, this has been a truth that I've held on to in a hard week, in a week of uncertainty, a week of sorrow. I've not known how to best love those around me, struggled to process my own thoughts and emotions at times, but through it all, through the joys, the valleys, God is in control. He is the beginning and the end, the Lord over history. Are you in a valley this morning? Maybe circumstances of life, a dark state of mind, uncertain where life has been, where life is, where life is going. Take heart. God sees you. He sent Christ, his only son, to die for you. He loves you. He is in control. Verse 4 continues. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now there's some debate to what exactly are, is the seven spirits. Some say it's the seven archangels found in Jewish history. Honestly, I don't even know what that means. I read it and put it down here. 
Some say it's the heavenly entourage uh, of people that uh, special ministry to the Lamb. And that was not to say that's not a valid point. I just, I didn't look much into it and, and say that's an option. And yet others would say, which where I would probably fall, is it points to the Holy Spirit, this perfection of the Holy Spirit. There's a passage in Isaiah, I think chapter 12, I didn't write it down, but it points out attributes of the Spirit as Lord of all. Again, a complete perfection of the Spirit. So we have the triune God here as we go now, continue from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of dead, the ruler of kings on earth. Three beautiful depictions of Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus, the one who God sent to reveal his love, his character, his kingdom. Jesus, the faithful witness who completed the mission to the point of death. The firstborn of the dead. No other person has done what Jesus has done. He died, he rose again, and stayed alive. And yet, he's not the only person who will live forever. He is the firstborn. Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. By faith in Christ, you have eternal life today. A life with God forever. Jesus, the ruler of kings on earth. He is the king of kings. All authority, good, bad, and otherwise, would not exist without God. Jesus reigns in heaven from the right hand of God now, but one day he will reign and come down and rule this earth and bring the kingdom in full. Just think about how countercultural that would be at the time. Right? I'm not a huge history guy, but the Roman Empire, from what I know, this dominant force controlling most of the known civilization at the time, politically, socially, Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, what about the Romans? What about their power? Yes, Jesus, Lord of all. To him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus loves his church. He loves you. He loves all those who make up the body of Christ. He didn't wait for you to figure it out. Didn't wait for me to figure it out. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By faith in Christ, you are free from the penalty of sin. It's no longer you or I who bears the wrath of God, right? We know this world is broken. You and I can look around. We all come to our conclusions of why it's broken. But from a Christian perspective, we know sin has marred what we see and experience now. It's no longer you or I who bear the wrath. It was Christ on the cross who bore it for you and I by faith. By faith, you're also free from the power of sin, right? The, the enslavement of sin. That is, you can live a life that's glorifying and honoring to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, verse 20, Paul writes it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are a kingdom. Priests. Priests in the Old Testament represented God among 
the people, interceded upon their behalf. By faith, Christians, you and I today represent God among the people. Our bodies, a living, sacrificing, accessing God's presence now and forever. To Christ be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen simply meaning yes. So let it be. So far we've seen the book as a blessing. God in his triune nature greet with love. If you've lost me, come back. Let's look at his coming, his might. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Look, not literally, although we are proud of our trophies, dance trophies, right, and posters. If you're, if you're visiting, we, we rent this facility. Those aren't ours. Uh, look, behold, stay alert. Jesus is coming back. Everyone will see him. He won't come as a baby in a manger. No, he will come on with the clouds, right? A hint at the very presence of God, again, pointing the Old Testament. Even those who pierced him will see. This last sentence of piercing seems to allude to all people, yes, but a particular meaning for the Jewish people. One scholar points that John didn't need a vision to know this hint. He could have seen it and knew it from his Old Testament scriptures. Let me read Zechariah 12. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as the one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. All will see him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Whether some, by God's grace, will have a chance for an opportunity or an opportunity that leads to repentance and salvation, or whether this alludes to the final judgment where God's wrath will be poured out once and for all for those who do not believe, there will be a time of mourning. Jesus is coming. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, the last letter. Amazon, A to Z, before Amazon, right? That little swoosh pointing to the A and the Z. If you didn't know that, that's your business lesson for today. All things A to Z sold on Amazon. A relationship with God is the greatest gift you can receive this Christmas season. A relationship with God is the greatest gift you can receive this Christmas season. He's the beginning and the end, the living one, eternal, everlasting. There was never a time when he was not, and there will never be a time when he is not. The almighty, sovereign, absolute authority. Just contrast that once again with the picture of a baby in a manger, our God came first as the humble servant, the slain lamb. He will return once again as the judge, the lion of Judah, to make all things right.
Let's turn to the second half of this chapter. And, and really, the, at the end, our, our big takeaway, our big response is to meditate on Christ, to meditate on who Jesus is. So as we go, what we've just read, as we continue to read all of these truths about who Jesus is, take note. I'll recap most of them at the end, but that is really going to be our primary application for today. So verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. The island of Patmos was like uh, Alcatraz for the Roman Empire, except it's believed the island itself functioned as the jail, a, a desolate, nowhere-to-go place. Most scholars believe John was in exile. Uh, this wasn't the Bahamas, right? Not a place where you want to go. It was lonely, barren, a place for punishment. So why was he there? Punished as a criminal, a member of an illegal religious sect known as the Christians. Brothers and sisters, to follow Christ is to follow in his footsteps. I know we live in America where maybe the physical persecution for our faith isn't as rampant as other places in the world, but there will be suffering, there will be hardships when you place your faith and follow Christ. Tribulation, patient endurance in this life. John is writing to these churches, I'm with you as a brother and partner in Christ. But that won't be the end of the story, right? As Dean mentioned, as many have mentioned, by following Christ, we share now in his victory, and one day we'll share in the final victory. No more pain, no more death. So John is on the island, and he hears this voice commanding him to write what he sees. So what does he see? The one like the Son of Man. Before we read this, let's read Daniel 7, uh, chapter 7. It's a similar vi a vision Daniel saw. Uh, we'll start verse 9, 10, skip a verse or two, and then read 13 and 14. So Daniel, chapter 7. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His thrones were fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel had a vision of the ancient of days. John had a vision of the Son of Man. The similarity is striking, not just because John knew his scripture, but because he was given eyes to see. Let's read similar words here in verse 12 in Revelation. Then I, 
That's John again. Turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and in his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So we get this picture of one like the Son of Man, that is Jesus, in the midst of golden lampstands, which verse 20 makes known are the churches that John is writing to. And in the midst of the lampstands, we read John's description of Jesus. We'll walk through each of those here. Clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Or his chest. He's our great high priest. It's a point, once again, to the Old Testament. A long robe at the time meant the longer the robe, the more royal the king. Golden sash. Exodus 20 talks about the priest's garments. Jesus, the one who can intercede and intercedes on our behalf. White hair like snow. Uh, our culture, right, it tries to hide age, tries to find a way to appear less aging. But here we find our Savior and King with white hair, showing it loud and proud, pointing to his eternal wisdom, his crown of glory. Eyes like a flame of fire. Fire is often associated throughout Scripture with judgment. Christ will come and display his omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing power, and our hearts will be known in a moment. Feet like burnished bronze, a firm foundation, solid, strong, stable, a voice like the roar of many waters. His tongue controls all heaven and all earth. In a breath, he can make it all go as he wants. In his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword draws back to the word of God itself. In the right hand, the stars, which verse 20 reveals are angels or messengers of the churches. Why the right hand? It's often viewed as a hand of authority and honor. His face shining like the sun, glorious, praiseworthy, majestic, holy. So how does John respond? Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. In our city group this week, sorry, Jim, I didn't ask for your permission. You're going to have to charge me later. Um, he, he had a great analogy. Think of the times when you're driving, right? Um, for those that have a license, hopefully uh, some of you aren't driving. Maybe not yet. Think of the times when you're driving, right? And it's sunrise or sunset or the time when the sun is just over the horizon. Bam, you come over the hill, whatever it may be, and it's glaring right in your face. What are your options? Grab the sunglasses as fast as you can, put the visor down, or look away. John falls at his feet. He knows whose presence he's in. The section 
continues, but he, Jesus, laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Fear not. What are you afraid of this morning? Rejection? Loneliness? Lack of success? Death? We could fill in a lot of different fears. I know I have my own. Cast your fears upon Christ as he reaches out and says, fear not. Share in community those fears with one another. Jesus is the first and the last, the living one who reigns forever. He holds the keys to death and Hades. Not Satan but Christ is in control. As we come to the end, what is our response? What do we do with a text like this? I think first we recognize we have a choice to follow Christ or not. There is no middle ground. Jesus in Luke chapter 11 proclaims, whoever is with me is against me. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Who do you say Jesus is? If you've never believed in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that is, you've never proclaimed in your own heart, your own mind, your own soul, that God, I believe that you came and lived the life I couldn't. You died the death I deserve in you I place my faith for hope and salvation. If you've never done that, I pray today the Spirit would stir in your heart to make that true in your own life and share that with someone. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you've proclaimed that to be true, then that shapes our lives. That begins as the Spirit works to cultivate a life in Christ. So my one response as I hinted at earlier, is to meditate on who Jesus is this Advent season. Maybe throw it up in your car, a sticky note, maybe put a note or a background on your phone. Maybe it says a family, you do something. But which one of these truths give you hope this Advent season or give you hope today? Jesus, the beginning and the end. Jesus, the faithful witness who loved unto death. Jesus, the ruler of kings. Jesus, the one who bore the penalty of sin and frees us from its power. Jesus, the firm foundation. The righteous judge, the one day who, or who one day will wipe away every pain and sorrow. Jesus, the everlasting Lord with eternal wisdom. Jesus, the revealed word of God. Let the truth of Christ dwell in your hearts today. No matter how hard you and I, as we do this, no matter how hard we may try to pick ourselves up to do better, to try harder, we'll always fall short. 
We'll never do good enough. We'll never live a life righteous enough on our own, but thanks be to God, we can look to the one who did. The one who lived a perfect life, who died the gruesome death, resurrected a victory, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day will return. In the first advent, Jesus came in lowly poverty. In the second advent, the risen Christ will come with power and glory.